Tonight we're going to look at what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to use selected scriptures so we can see the consistency of this doctrine. Um, man is a creature of extremes, as you know, if you've lived for any length of time, be it individually or collectively in society. And when it comes to the Christian the church, it's not much different. Uh, some are zealous for the Lord, but they neglect the study of God's word. Others study the word diligently, but they neglect sharing their faith. And then still others boldly tell others that they are Christians, but they seldom go to church or committed to a church. And still then, there's some that are zealous about the end time prophecies and the scriptures. And that's all they study, prophecy, prophecy. They go to this church, that church, this tent meeting, and everywhere else, you know. Um, but yet they neglect the whole counsel of God. Uh, perhaps the greatest extreme that we uh, as believers can go to is to lean solely on the word while neglecting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This danger leads to two extreme um, perspectives. First, the result of dead orthodoxy. Leaning to learning and living without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's like trying to drive a car without gas. It just doesn't work. The other is the result of being open to every sort of nonsense and being ascribed to the Holy Spirit without confirming it through the Word of God. So you have those two extremes. Now, some of you have come out of um, different denominations, um, from Baptist to extreme Pentecostal churches. And um, there are people who reject the very doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they have seen some of the abuses in the operations of the gifts of the Spirit in type of a circus-type atmosphere by extreme Pentecostal churches. And there are others who think and teach that the doctrine of the baptism is um, um, obsolete as a, quote, quote, dispensational experience. In other words, it was only for the apostolic age, and when they died, it's no longer valid. Yet, the term baptism of the Holy Spirit was uttered from the mouth of Jesus, as well as John the Baptist, and is of the greatest importance for the life of the believer and the church. John declared in Matthew 3.11, Jesus declared in Acts 1.5, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That phrase comes from their mouth. Now, if Jesus and John the Baptist used it, why should we ignore it? Why should we not use it? And it's, there's other phrases that are synonymous with it, but that phrase is very important. So, to answer the question, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We want to look at it from five vantage points. We're going to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. Then we'll look at the purpose 
of the Holy Spirit, then the pattern of the Holy Spirit, then the privilege of the Holy Spirit, then the partner of the Holy Spirit. And all these avenues will answer the question about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to his disciples, as you know. Um, John 14, 15, and 16 is the main area. In John 14, 16, the Father would send the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. The Father would give them, he uses the term, another comforter in John 14, 16, and 26. The word another there is a word that means another of the same kind, like Jesus, but another in numerical difference. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Jesus the second, and the Father is the first who sends them. He sends both of them. The word helper, paracletus, we've seen it before. It means to come alongside to help do the work. So in other words, we are unable to do the work that God has called us to do apart from the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would abide with them forever, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 16. In fact, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, John 14, 17. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit has many synonymous names. Let me give you them. Jesus called it the promise from on high in Luke 24, 49. Jesus called it the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, 4 and 1, 5 before he left the heaven. Peter at Pentecost identified the Holy Spirit with receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.33. Luke calls it filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and when Paul received it also. And that is in Acts 2.4 and 9.17. Luke also calls it receiving the Holy Spirit at Samaria in Acts 8.17. And Peter calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit at the house of Cornelius, if you remember, in Acts 10.45. And by the way, Luke uses that same term in Luke 11.13. One more, Luke calls it the Holy Spirit fell on them, both in Samaria and the house of Cornelius in Acts 8.16 and 10.44. So all these terms and phrases are synonymous with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is the promise of the Holy Spirit, very clearly articulated. Second comes the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the purpose was to establish a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament saints, as you know, endowed with the Holy Spirit were the exception. For service, the Holy Spirit came upon some of them, like a holy ab and Baziel for the building of the tabernacle. 
for leadership as Moses, Joshua, David, for being king, for prophesying and proclaiming God's word like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Nahum, all the prophets. But the rest of the people were not endowed with the spirit as those called and anointed for service. The rest of the people did not have the Holy Spirit in them. Never in the Old Testament, okay? Only those called the special favored like the ones I've just mentioned. Now, the Lord Jesus describes a threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, in John 14, 17, it says the Holy Spirit would be with you. The word with is the word para. We have many Greek words. Para, alongside. We parallel part, paramedic, paralegal. You come alongside a curve, alongside a medic, alongside a lawyer. Okay? That's the word para. He would be their lifelong companion. The one who comes alongside to help them do the work and is ever present. The third person of the Trinity. Now also the Holy Spirit, then Jesus said, would be in them in John 14, 17. So first with, now in. The believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen makes that very clear. When you're born again, the Spirit comes in. Your body is the temple of the Spirit of God. The believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit and could be translated engagement ring in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit also would come upon them. This is the third preposition. With, in, and upon. The word upon is epi. E-P-I. Acts 1-8. This is what Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1-5. At Pentecost, they spoke in various dialects, as you know, of the people present, and they heard them speak the wonderful works of God in Acts 2 3 and verse 11. The disciples were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus, as you know. So they prayed, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word with boldness, Acts 4.31. Okay? They were filled at Pentecost, and they're filled here after they got busted out of jail. Now, Jesus said the purpose was to replace the departure of himself by the Holy Spirit. Kind of like um, a relay, you pass the baton, and the one stops and the other one picks up. Same kind of thing. Jesus would not leave them as orphans, he said in John fourteen eighteen. When you think of that, you think of an orphan, someone who has no one to defend him, to protect him, to provide for him. He's abandoned. It's a sad case. Jesus would come to them through the Holy Spirit in John 14, 18 also, he said. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would testify and glorify him alone in John 15, 26 and 16, 14. So the distinction between the second and the third person is clearly made throughout. 
And also, the third person of the Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus, only points people to Jesus, never speaks of himself, never brings glory to himself. He's the silent witness of Jesus. Okay? Jesus said that it was absolutely necessary and beneficial that he go away so that the Holy Spirit could come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John 16, 7, and 8. Jesus said the purpose then was to empower the disciples of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So he gave them a lot that night before he went, he was betrayed and went to the cross. The disciples were to wait for the promise of the Father that we've mentioned, which they had heard from him. Again in Acts 1.4 he said. The disciples would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from the command. Acts 1.5. Jesus was with them for 40 days. And then he left. 10 days. 40 and 10 is 50. Pentecost. The disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit came Upon them, he made that very, very clear. Tarry in Jerusalem till you be due with power from on high. The disciples would be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, the remainder of verse 8 of Acts 1. Now, the manner was by their example of life that is pleasing to Jesus and the Father who sees all things, as Hebrews 4.13 says, everything's open and naked to him, given the intent of the heart. The natural result is a witness to the community by their lives, as light and salt, as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.13 and 14. The giving of an answer also to everyone asking a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear is 1 Peter 3.15. So by our lives and by what we can give to them about God's revelation, why do I need to be saved? Why, why, why do you call mistakes sins? Uh, what is this thing about hell? What about this judgment thing? What about this millennial thing? What about this rapture thing? What about this thing I hear that Jesus is both God and man? You have to be able to articulate that to people. Jesus said the purpose was to direct his church by the Holy Spirit also. He directed Peter and John to heal the man at the gate called Beautiful, if you remember, in Acts 3, 1 through 10. They were going to the temple just like any other day, going to go witness they weren't going to go sacrifice. They're going to go witness, go share. And they passed this guy up many, many times. They passed him up when Jesus was with them. Jesus never healed him. And then this time they walk up and Peter receives a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, and miracle happens. Silver and gold have I none, such a havoc of ID. In the name of Jesus Christ, he rises up and walks. And his feet and his ankles were one of them. Jumped up, leaped, praising God. Hmm. So he directs us, but also 
the Holy Spirit purifies his church as Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead in Acts 5, 1 through 11. Now, they were struck dead not because they didn't give all the money. For Peter says, the money was yours. Is that they said they gave all the money and they were trying to make a great pretense over their dishonesty. God never forced them to give money. Didn't force them to give any of it, let alone all of it. So the Holy Spirit purifies the church. He also gave the necessary wisdom, courage, and the love for Stephen to preach and to die as a witness of Christ in Acts chapter 7, verse 10, 51 and 60. Before the synagogue of the Cyrenes, and they stoned him to death. And he looked up and he saw Jesus stand to receive the first martyr of the church. And he says, lay not this sin to them. The very same words that his Lord said from the cross. Through the power of the Spirit of God. Not his own ability. He directed Peter to the house of Cornelius through a vision. And the word of knowledge in Acts 10 as he's up in the rooftop. And he's getting hungry in them screen of all manner of unclean things come down and he hears a voice take kill and eat and peter says not so lord that's a contradiction you can't have not and lord in the same sentence and he tells peter whatever i have cleansed don't you ever ever dare call it common and he was directing and guiding him and interpreting for him the vision that he was going to send him to the gentiles the house of cornelius Amazing, by the Holy Spirit. He called out Barnabas and Saul to the mission field by the Holy Spirit. Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry which I have called him. In fact, Barnabas is first, Saul is second, later it turns around. Acts 13, 1 through 3. So it's the Holy Spirit who calls us, directs us, guides us, and speaks to us. And so we obey him, not a pastor, not elders, not a movement, not a group of people. Yet we acknowledge the different people that God gives and calls and positions, but we all have the same Bible, we all have the same Holy Spirit, and we are each responsible to yield to God's Spirit as he dwells in us, and we yield to him. Very important. In fact, he guided Paul and Silas to Philippi, as you know, by forbidding them first not to preach in Galatia, Bithynia, and giving a vision of the Holy Spirit to the man about the man of Macedonia in Acts 16, 6 through 10. And Paul said, and I knew God was leading us there. <laughs> These are the things that are to be happening in your life and mine. And if you walk with God for many years, you can look back and you can see how God has guided you. When you first came, you don't know anything. You're looking forward. You have no 
Christian experience. You have no experience with God, the Word, the Holy Spirit. And as you walk through life, you look back and you see His goodness. Sometimes you knew He was directing you. Sometimes you didn't know and He was directing you. Sometimes you thought He was directing you and He wasn't. You've got experience behind you. And so, this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly is the pattern of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is used for the new birth. This is called regeneration. As a foundational step for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus declared to Nicodemus that he had to be born again. You must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3 through 5. It's not an option. Okay? The disciples in the day of Pentecost were all born again. John 20, 22, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. The Samaritans were born again. In Acts 8.12. The Apostle Paul was born again. Acts 9.16-17. The Ephesians were born again. In Acts 19.1 and 2. So. A prerequisite. For you to receive the Holy Spirit. Which is the beginning. And the stepping stone to the baptism. Is you must be born again. Okay. Simple. Then the Holy Spirit is used also to set the believer apart for the life of the Spirit. This is called sanctification. So the new birth is regeneration. Now we have a life of sanctification set apart. I am now a vessel for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm born again. The believer is sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience. His body again we mentioned becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit even as Jesus said he the Holy Spirit will be in you first Peter chapter 1 1 and 2 and also first Corinthians 6 19 now the believer is given a mind by the Holy Spirit Ephesians 4 23 and 24 you have the mind of Christ a new mind a new mind the believer is given a new heart that is circumcised to desire the things and do the will of God. Romans 2.29, Ephesians 6.6. 6. The circumcision is a metaphor of cutting away the flesh life. No longer living for yourself, no longer living for sin, but desiring the things of God. The believer is able then to walk in the Spirit so as not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. They are opposed one to the other. Galatians 5, 6, and 17 says that. Paul deals with it also in Ephesians 5, 1 through 3. So you have a new nature, divine nature, and a old sin nature. And they are opposed one to the other. The mind of Christ, the mind of the old man. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, you have been crucified. Chapter 6, 11, you have to crucify him daily, put him to death. How? By the energies of the flesh? Never. But by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is used, thirdly, to open the believer's understanding. 
So you have regeneration, born again. You have sanctification, the empowerment to live that life. But illumination is in order that the believer can see the wisdom of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're talking about. Man is blind to the things of God until the Holy Spirit reveals them, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 16. He says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He goes on to say, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, yet the spiritual man understands all things. And he finishes up in verse 16, and we have the mind of Christ. You can pick up the Bible, read it. You understand it. You obey it. God speaks to you. Man is weak in his flesh. Though his spirit is willing, his flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus told his disciples. How many times you say, I'm never going to do that again? Well, as long as you depend on yourself, you'll do it again. But when we depend on the Spirit of God, we won't. There's a big difference. Man needs power from on high by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Once again, Jesus uses that in Acts 1.5. Man can only be godly as a witness to Jesus by the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. That's why he told them in Acts 1.8. Tarry in Jerusalem till you be undue with power. Dunamis from on high. Now. The threefold work of the Holy Spirit. Of regeneration. Sanctification. And illumination. Should not be confused. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's different. You're born again, regenerated, you're sanctified, allowed and enabled to live the life. And the light is turned on so you can understand the word of God and hear the voice of God. Some have called the baptism of the Holy Spirit a second blessing. And many other biblical, uh, non-biblical phrases that they use. I don't really care what you call it. I care that you have it. That's the most important thing. So I try to use the biblical terminology so we don't have to appear intelligent. We all have the same Bible. We can easily understand it. The Holy Spirit is given and received by every person who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, first of all, and we make clear. Regeneration, Romans 8, 9. The minute you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Okay? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you receive the baptism, okay? Again, some people call it a second blessing. Some people call it doesn't. I, I could care less about those terms. The believer is baptized into the body of the church by one and the self-same spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and Ephesians 4, 5. The minute you're born again, then you are part of the family of God. You are part of the body of Christ. This is the true incorporation into the body of Christ, the church. Not water, but that you're born again. 
You have the same spirit that I do. But that's not referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Though it can happen and we'll see this. That's why I'm taking it a step at a time so you can see that. Now the believer is baptized into water as a public confession, as you know, of what has happened already in his heart by the work of the Holy Spirit through the new birth regeneration, symbolic of the death and burial of Jesus Christ, the new birth, as Paul says in Romans 6, verse 3 through 7. Do you realize that Jesus never baptized anybody in water? Only his disciples baptized in water? John 4, 2. Why? Because he didn't want anybody to confuse the baptism of water and the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, There's one among you whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to loosen. He shall baptize the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I can baptize you in water. You can baptize somebody in water, but you can't baptize in the Holy Spirit, nor I. Jesus does that. Big difference, okay? John distinguishes that very clearly, as I've just stated. Matthew 3.11, Luke 3.16, John 1.32, Acts 1.5, and other places. Now, the believer can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at different points in his walk or her walk, be it at regeneration or subsequent to salvation. Let me give you some examples. In Acts 8, 12 through 17, the Samaritans believed the word of God that Philip had preached, and they were baptized in water. Then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Peter and John went down and laid hands on them. So they heard the gospel, repented, were born again, and they baptized them in water. And then Peter and John come down. They saw they hadn't received the baptism. They laid hands on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowerment. Okay? Now, when Paul or Saul got converted on the road to Damascus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Damascus as Ananias laid his hand on him. And then afterwards, he was water baptized, Acts 9, 17 through 18. Different order now, right? But what's the common denominator? First born again. Okay? We move to the house of Cornelius in um, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. And the house of Cornelius was 12 years after Pentecost. And as Peter was speaking the word of God, the Holy Spirit fell upon them at P. Then they were baptized in water. Okay? I'm sorry, they spoke in tongues. They were baptized with the Spirit first. Okay? So once again, they, it happened to them at the same time they were born again. So in Samaria, after being born again, Paul, right after and then water, with the Samaria was the reverse, and there at the house of Cornelius at the same time. In Acts 19, 5 through 6, the Ephesian disciples here 
is 24 years after Pentecost. They were first baptized in water by Paul. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them afterwards. The order can differ as long as you are first born again. Okay? So it can happen at the same time when you ask Christ in your heart or subsequent to salvation. And it should, even if it happens at the same time you're born again, you should be asking the Spirit of God to fall upon you and baptize you as often as you can for empowerment. Okay? We see this through the book of Acts with the apostles. So this is the pattern of the Holy Spirit. The common denominator, regeneration, is the key. The foundational step for it to take place. But there's a clear distinction between water and the baptism of the Spirit, as we've seen. Fourthly, you have now the privilege of the baptism of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is that it is accompanied with gifts at times. Now, the believers at Pentecost received the baptism after being born again, as we've seen, because in Acts 2, they're already born again. They had all believed on Jesus, Acts 2, 1 tells us. The 11 had been breathed on by Jesus, and they were told to receive the Holy Spirit in John 20, 22. They all spoke in tongues, indicating the various dialects in Acts 2, 8. So now we see the baptism at Pentecost, and we also see some gifts that accompany the baptism, okay? Let's move over to Samaria. Now, remember I said Samaria was 12 years after, and Ephesus was 24? I did that purposely for those who tell you that it was only for the day of Pentecost. 12, 24, Okay? It still goes on today. And so now the believers in Samaria, who were half-breeds, half-Samaritans, half-Jew, Gentile and Jew, equals Samaritan, okay? The Jew hated them. Now, in Acts 8 there, they believed the word that Philip preached in Acts 8, 12, and they were baptized first in water, there in that verse, a 12. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit after Peter and John came, as we said, and laid hands on them in verse 14 through 17. They manifested some visible signs that's not told us what, how do we know? Because Simon the sorcerer wanted to purchase the gift. There were some gifts of the Spirit manifested. We're not told of any. In other words, we're not indicated which ones. But it's very evident that he wanted to purchase this ability in Acts 8.18. So, in the day of Pentecost was recorded speaking in tongues dialect okay 
So what, in, in the day of Pentecost, it wasn't the gift of tongues. Because the gift of tongues, you speak to God, not to men. You don't even understand it. Those, those people in the day of Pentecost, they heard them speak in their own language, their dialect, all the ones that are listed. Human languages. The gift of tongues is not a human language. It's very clear in 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. Okay? Now, let's move to Acts 9. The Apostle Paul is the persecutor and murderer of Christians. Now he's born again. In verse 14 through 16, Ananias was sent by the Lord to Paul to lay hands on him, and he calls him brother. Ananias freaked out. Lord, don't you know he? Yeah, I know who he is. <laughs> he sends him, and he calls him a brother. In verse 17, Ananias laid hands on Paul, and listen, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So, we may pray for you and over you and lay hands, anoint you with oil. And Jesus may baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But it's not the hands, it's not the oil, and it's not me or anybody else. Jesus is the one who's baptizing you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then Paul was baptized in water, Acts 9.18. I'm repeating myself. You can see the distinction between the two and the different orders, okay? Let's go to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. They were also Gentiles. They were born again. They were hearing the words of God through Peter. And all of a sudden, without Peter... Knowing or finishing, the Holy Spirit fell on them, Acts 10.44, sovereignly. And they spoke with tongues and magnified God in verse 46. Now that is the gift of tongues. They didn't speak in dialects, but glossialia, tongues. And then they were baptized in water in verse 48. Okay? So you see now that when the baptism takes place, at times, gifts are associated and affiliated with the baptism. Okay? That's important. Let's move to Acts 19. The Ephesian elders, who were disciples of John, were also again born again. They were believers. Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In verse 2, now, think with me. The minute you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, right? Paul says, have you received the Holy Spirit? Then he can't be speaking about the Spirit just coming in. He's talking about the baptism. Simple. Let's follow the verse. Verse 3 of 19. They were baptized in water for repentance after the baptism of John. In verse 5, they were baptized in water by Paul now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rebaptized them. Okay? 
And in verse 6, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as Paul laid hands on them. Listen. And they spoke in tongues and now prophesied. Now you have tongues and prophecy being affiliated and associated with the baptism. All right? We can conclude without any hesitation then that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers who are born again. The Apostle Peter said it was for all who repented, their children, and as many as were afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 38 and 39. The Lord Jesus said, it is for all who ask, speaking to his disciples in Luke eleven thirteen. When you're born again, you, you, you repent. You're not asking for the Holy Spirit to come in you. That comes automatic. Ask. Please ask. The baptism can take place by laying on of hands or no hands. You see it in Acts 8, 9, and 10. Okay? So laying of hands is not a requirement. It can happen without it. Okay. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power to be a witness to Jesus, as we said in Acts 1.8. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event then, but a repeated experience for empowerment, for life and service. Okay? Acts 2.4, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoken dialects. Acts 4 8, they were filled again. Verse 31, again. Ephesians 5 18 says, Keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the baptism also. Ephesians 5 18. Continue to be filled, a continual present active. All right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit can be accompanied then by gifts. At times, as we've seen in Acts 2.8, the house of Cornelius in 10.46, and with the Ephesian elders in 19.6. Okay? This is the privilege of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, now that we have all this done, we've seen the progression and the distinction between them. Let's look at the partner of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowerment for service, not any one gift. Very important. Okay? The command to all believers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be impossible if it was limited to any particular gift, for not all have the same gift, nor all have all the gifts. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30. The one gift taught to be the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in extreme Pentecostal circles is speaking in tongues. But this again is unscriptural because Paul says 
Not everybody speaks in tongues. In fact, it is the least of the gifts because it's the only gift that builds you up and you don't even know what you're saying. Every other gift edifies the body. Is that clear? He makes the rhetorical question, do I have the gift of teaching? No. Do I have the gift of prophecy? No. Do I have the gift of tongues? Yes. No. It's no. Same answer. So how can any Christian pastor or denomination teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues and you have to speak in tongues and you should speak in tongues? It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can be accompanied by gifts of the Spirit at times as we have seen. The two that are mostly mentioned is tongues and prophecy. It doesn't limit itself to that, but those are the two that are mentioned most of the time. The true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as I said, is empowerment for service. Distinct also from the fruit of the Spirit. And many people confuse all these. What makes a believer's service so effective is that it is motivated and done in and by and through the fruit of the Spirit, which is agape love. Distinct from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people mistakenly teach that agape love is the baptism also. Wrong. The fruit is singular. The baptism for empowerment and service. Agape love is the motive. Why and how we do it. The empowerment enables us. Is that clear? Very different. This is clear from the fact that a believer can do incredible works for God that benefit a person by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, yet suffer loss at the bema seat of Christ because the motive was not agape love. God can enable you, and you yield to the power of God's uh, power to do whatever. But if your motive is not agape love, you get no reward. It can't be the same thing. One's for service, the other one is the motive. The fruit of the Spirit is agape love in Galatians 5.22. And the word is singular, as I said. There is but one fruit of the Spirit, God's divine love. Now, many pastors and denominations, there's eight fruit of the Spirit. Wrong! In the English, it's in the plural. The Greek is singular. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit, agape. The seven virtues that follow, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are the various ways agape love manifests itself in action in contrast to the works of the flesh that follow in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, again proclaimed the message of salvation to those who had crucified his Lord. Think about it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, but he was motivated by the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, able to forgive them and preach Christ to them that they might be saved. Are you going to take that credit? That you're able to do that? Hmm. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. 
For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, agape love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. That's all available to you, to me. Hmm. Paul again says in Ephesians 4, 30 to 32, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, meaning mean, bring pain to it, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking put away from you with all malice and all kind, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Whoa. You are to do to others as Christ has done to you. Now, do you think you can do it on your own might? You're crazy. I love vengeance. But it's never enough. I don't want to forgive you. I don't want to see your face. I'm walking in the flesh. I can only do this if I yield to the Spirit of God. Die to self. Ask him to fill me with the empowerment. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the priority of the fruit of the spirit enhances the baptism of the spirit. The empowerment to serve is motivated by God's love. Agape love edifies others. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Agape love is to be the motive for all that is done. He will reward us at the Bema Seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. The motive of the heart will be the judgment, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Agape love never fails. I fail. You fail. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Or 14, 8 through 8, really never fails. This is scripture. I have never failed when I've yielded to the baptism of the Spirit of God. Every time I have not, I have failed every time. Agape love must be the motive behind the exercise of any gift, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 and 14, 1. Jude commends all believers to keep themselves in the agape love of God. In verse 21, there's only one chapter. Paul declared to the Colossians the following. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, listen, here we go again, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, it'd be nice if you did it. No, must do. 
but above all these things put on agape love which is the bond of perfection it's the belt that holds everything together colossians 3 12 through 14 ladies and gentlemen wow the love of god has been shed abroad in our hearts by the holy spirit paul says in romans 5 5 agape love is the bond of perfection that holds everything together in colossians 3 14 as i said Baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be witnesses to Jesus, as we said. But Jesus did not say they would know us by our works, but by our love for one another. John thirteen thirty five. We seem to put the emphasis on the wrong thing all the time. Because we lean to our own understanding, to our own ability. Because it brings glory to me and not to God. I can say one thing, but living it out is a whole different thing. The fruit of the Spirit gives a true representation of God to the world and keeps our hearts from becoming hard and bitter. The same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. Nothing wrong with the sun. It's what kind of material you made up. Are you yielding to God or are you hardening your heart? Wow. The greatest evidence of being a witness to and for Jesus is by his agape love. The proper motive. So this is the partner of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The motivation of God's love. The baptism is the empowerment to be able to do with God. To love one another. To love my wife. To forgive my wife. To love my children. To love you. To forgive you. The empowerment. The motive is God's agape love. And along with the baptism, you got all the gifts of the Spirit. That God will give sovereignly as He wills as you seek Him. We don't all have the same gifts. That's a whole different teaching. We're to seek the best of the gifts. We're not to compare ourselves among ourselves, lest we be unwise. The Al Moody said the following. One day in New York, what a day. I can't describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is um, almost too sacred to name. I can only say God revealed himself to me. I had such an experience of love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to uh, preaching again. The sermon was no different. I did not present any new truth, yet hundreds were converted. I would not go back where I was before that blessed experience. What God can do through us is an amazing thing if we yield to him. I have never failed in the test when I yielded to God's baptism and his love. But when I have hardened my heart, I have failed every time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit through these five vantage points. Do you think it's important for the believer? Absolutely. Absolutely. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the 
pattern of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of the Holy Spirit, and the partner of the Holy Spirit. It's all in the Word, ladies and gentlemen. But it can't stay in our brain. It's got to move down to our lives. That's what makes you a witness that you can live in this rotten world with you who have a sin nature and you're not perfect, you're not sinless and you can give an example of God-likeness in this evil present world by the power of the Spirit of God as you walk from day to day. And we get a chance every day. Another opportunity. So let's not yield to our own abilities or strengths, but to the pure spirit of God that he baptized you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. Well, we pray tonight that you would fall upon us, Lord, for those who have not been baptized or even those who, Father, are quenching your spirit, Lord, that you would just, we would yield to you. And the Lord, you would do in us and through us the things that we cannot do for ourselves, Lord, as we yield to you, to be that example, first to our wives, our husbands, our children, to those around us, to the church, and then those who are outside who don't know you, Lord, that they may see a difference. And so, Lord, we just praise you. We worship you, Lord. As you're praying, if you're out there, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you to be saved. You're hearing out there somewhere in the world. If you've never been born again, call on Jesus to be born again, to forgive you of your sins. And ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, that he may disperse gifts to your life. Find yourself a church and join yourself and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you're out there, you want to be born again, or if you're here over the internet... This is your prayer of repentance right now. He's going to forgive you and give to you eternal life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you, my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.